If you have a Bible, we'll open there. As we study the the reigns of three kings, focusing primarily on the first king, his name is Amaziah. And uh, if you want to get a full picture, and we'll kind of go back and forth, but we're going to have to go over to Second Chronicles 25. You know, and it's so cool that if you're a Christian, you've been given the, the victory in the war. You know, we have that victory. Um, and, I, and I pray that you guys have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that you believe in Him. You've turned from your sins and received Him as Lord and Savior. You know, but as Christians, there's still other victories. You know, the war is won, but there are battles along the way. Uh, we don't want to be wandering in the wilderness for 40 years like the Jews did there. We read in the Old Testament. We want victory. And so there's a lot entailed in that victory day by day, victory in your marriage, victory in your workplace, uh, victory over uh, different struggles that you might have you know, with your kids. But um, today we're going to talk about two things in particular. Number one is loyalty, loyalty to God, and the other is humility, humility before God. If those are two things that are present in your life, loyalty and humility, uh, there's a promise that leads to victory. And uh, we're going to see that today um, in Second Kings chapter 14. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was... Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And so as we travel through Second uh, Kings, eventually we'll get to Chronicles, um, it's not just God wanting to give us information about the kings. It's about God wanting to transform our lives. And so we're studying these guys, and, you know, the chronicler tells us these things. But as we take them to heart, we're going to see that each one of them has lessons. You know, there's a lesson in looking at someone's life. And we're going to see we learn from their successes. We learn from their failures. Now, here we see Amaziah. Uh, he reigned from 796 to 767 B.C. It says he did good, Right? Um, there in verse 3, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father, David. He did everything like his biological father, uh, Joash, had done. And we know that Joash, in the end, turned away from the Lord, and they conspired against him and killed him. And so, like I was telling my son, I like to mess, mess around with him. I said, he did good, but not real good. And what I mean by that is it is good, his good wasn't real. It wasn't a real good. And we're going to see that can happen in life. He did good, but it wasn't like David. You know, and all the kings, they're compared to David, aren't they? You know, he did good. He followed the example of his father, who also did good in the beginning. But it wasn't a real good. And that's what we want in our life. We want to do good. We want it to be a real 
good. We want it to be deep, not just superficial. We don't want to just say, well, I know the rules and regulations. I know how to go through the motions. I've been a Christian, you know, all my life. No, we want to do good. We want to do real good for the glory of God. And we're going to see that. You know, these guys had good beginnings but terrible endings. They were both conspired against and killed by their own people because of the fact that in the end they eventually turned away from the Lord. And so, you know, we're going to see as we go through here, I want to encourage you guys just to keep running, keep walking with the Lord, keep abiding and resting in Christ so that you can finish and finish well. Remember Jesus, he said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. And so when he died there in John chapter 19, verse 30, he said, it is finished. And that's what we want to be able to say as well. You know, for all of us here, God has a mission. God has something that he wants us to do, some work that he wants us to be engaged in. And let that be our meat. Let that be our food. You know, more than the double-doubles across the street. You know, more than, you know, the round table pizza, which is probably the best pizza in the world, right? Other than pyology. I mean, there's a, a lot of good things that we love. We love to talk about food, don't we? We love to eat. And I'm so grateful that God gave us taste buds, aren't you? You know, when you're young, you don't have to worry about gaining weight. Oh, it's such a terrible thing when you have to worry about that, man. But you know, more than the food, Jesus said in John chapter 4, more than that is I am hungering after finishing the work that God gave me to do. And we need that. We need to be able to finish well. So here, this king, Amaziah, he's compared to David there. And we see that David, of course, is a picture of Christ. And, you know, in the end, he's the one that we want to compare ourselves to. He's the one that we want to imitate. He learned a lot from his dad, and unfortunately, his dad wasn't always the example that he needed to be. You know, be careful who you're following. You know, um, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, right? Who are we following? You know, who is our mentor, so to speak? Luke 6.39 says that Jesus spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And so we read the account, and again, like I told you, the parallel passage, Second Chronicles 25, look what it says in verse 2. It says, and he did, speaking of Amaziah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but here it is, not with a loyal heart. Remember I was telling you, victory, you're going to need loyalty. And you want to do good. You want to do real good. You want that good to be real. And it's a tragic testimony when you have a carnal king who is holy on the outside, but not on the inside. And he's a warning to us because if we don't go deep with God, you know, you're going to get by for a while, but sooner or later we're going to be turned inside out and we're going to be found out. And the same thing happened to his dad. We begin, first of all, by looking at some of the things he did good. Look at verse 5. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute, according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall be put to death for his own sins. And so these are good things, actually. Uh, once the kingdom was established, it was firmly in his grasp, 
he killed those who killed his father. Uh, if you remember back in Second Kings chapter 12, verse 20, there were certain servants that arose and formed a conspiracy, and they killed his father, Joash. And so now Amaziah executes them. And that's a good thing, you guys. It is. Uh, David Guzik said it was good for him to eliminate those who found the assassination of the king a reasonable way to change the kingdom. You don't, that's not how you change kingdoms. You don't just kill kings, right? And so he said it fulfilled God's command to punish murderers with execution. First given in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. The Bible says, you guys remember the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill, right? And so he took care of that. In, in one sense, he began with a just rule. He also, it says right here, did not execute the children of the murderers or friends or family members of the murderer. Uh, something that in those days normally would take place. Culturally and standardly, that would be done. You know, you kill the, the, those who did the crime. You kill their, you know, their brothers, their sons, their grandkids, their dogs, their cats. I mean, you kill everybody that's associated with them. That was just the way things were done. But we don't do things according to the standards of the world and the culture that we live in. We do things according to the word of God. Right? And that's what it says right here. He says that he didn't execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. And so, you know, he looked pretty good. I mean, you know, he took care of the sinners. He took care of that sin, but he didn't go too far. He was balanced. He was biblical. And Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You know, and so he showed faith and courage, obedience to God's word, even though that in one sense was dangerous to himself, right? And may actually, may actually have turned out to be the reason he died later on, but he did the right thing right here at this point. Another good thing we read about, look at verse 7. It says, He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt, and took Selah by war and called its name Jokthiel uh, to this day. Now, this was actually a great victory. I was wondering if we could turn over to Second Chronicles 25. This is a really, really good victory that he led. In verse 5 of Second Chronicles 25, it says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from 20 years old and above, and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He was real organized, you know. He had these guys ready to go. And then he also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. And so he's getting ready to fight the Edomites. History tells us that the Edomites revolted against uh, Judah at this point. And so he's got his 300,000 soldiers. He's got an extra 100,000 soldiers. It says right here from Israel, that's the northern kingdom. But look what happens, you guys, in verse 7. A man of God came to him, saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be strong. Be strong in battle. 
Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy. For God has power to help and, and to overthrow. You know, so this man of God, he comes up to the king and he says, you know, you've hired these 100,000 guys from Israel, but I'm here to tell you that if you let them go with you, it doesn't matter how strong you go in your might, you will fall. You will fall. And so, you know, what does he do? Uh, what does Amaziah do? It says in verse 9, he said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. I was talking to one guy the other day because I haven't mentioned anything about taxes yet. And uh, he reminded me, he said, You know, a lot of times Christians cheat on their taxes. Did you know that? I don't think they would come to a midweek service. Um, probably the Sunday morning guys, huh? Second service. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times, man, we, we sell out. You know, for the finances, we compromise in those areas. Here he's thinking, well, wait a minute, I gave him, you know, the hundred talents of silver. What am I going to do with that? Am I going to lose it? And it's so cool what he says. The man of God says, don't compromise. Don't worry, God's able to give you much more. You hold to your integrity, right? You do what's right. And so Amaziah says in verse 10, discharge the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. He sent them away. Therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. But then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the valley of Saul, and he killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, and he brought them to the top of the rock, cast them down from the top of the rock, so that they were all dashed in pieces. It's It's heavy. But it's a great, it's a great victory. It's a victory that was wrought by faith. You know, we read back in Second Kings just a, a real brief thing, but then Second Chronicles, which comes to us from a priestly perspective, you know, shows us that this guy was actually doing good, really good, but not real good, right? What happened? Well, Second Chronicles twenty five two says that his heart wasn't loyal. I pray your heart would be loyal. Well, I've been walking with the Lord now for 15 years. Manny, I'm doing, man, did you ever hear about the fact, the way that I, you know, walked the victory over the Edomites and I listened to the man of God and I took steps of faith and how I was so biblical and I did all these things. And you know what? I praise God for that. And I am, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I am confident in that. God is good. And I'm not trying to put the pressure on you. All I'm trying to say is be loyal to the Lord. All I'm trying to say is that if you ever find yourself where you're just going through the motions in any way, that you want to come back to that place where it's real, where it's a real intimate and personal fellowship and relationship with God, and that you abide in Him. You rest in Him. You stay where you belong. You know, because everybody starts good. But not that many finish well. And these are the lessons that we see over and over again. It's a trip to me. His dad, Joash, started good when Jehoiada was there, you know, guiding him. But once Jehoiada died, then he fell away. This guy falls away. His, his son, we're going to see uh, Uzziah, starts good. He does great. But in the end, his pride gets the best of him, and he dies a leper. You know, you see it happen to the best of men. 
That's why we have to really, really guard our hearts. I want you guys to do well. You know, the Bible says, we read it the other day in the young adults, uh, that you might receive a full reward. And so we got to finish well. You know, start well, finish well. By God's grace, we're able to do that, but not it doesn't happen all the time. You know, he's doing good, but then back in 2 Kings, look what happens as he begins to fall. In verse 8, Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. You know, glory in that and stay at home. <laughs> For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall? You and Judah with you. But Amaziah would not heed. Therefore Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. That means it was just a complete victory from Israel. Judah was defeated utterly. And then Jehoash, king of Israel, he was captured. Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beshemesh. And he went to Jerusalem, broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. You know, the victory over Edom. You would figure it would be all good. But in one sense, that victory, that triumph, is what led to tragedy. Rather than acknowledging it as 100% God, Amaziah apparently took some of the credit for his victory, and as a result of that, it went to his head and then to his heart. And so King Jehoash of Israel saw it for what it was, an act of arrogance rooted in pride. And so you can picture the thistle. You know, the thistle is like is symbolic of a weed. And he's talking to the, you know, the cedar tree, the great cedar tree. And, you know, the, the thistle here is trying to tell the cedar tree what to do. And then kind of, you know, comes and just gets stepped on, you know, like that. And he's just saying, I, I, I'm basically he's saying, I'm warning you. I, I'm just, I'm warning you. And, uh, and he's like, I don't need to be warned. I don't need to be warned. I mean, you know, and the thing is, you know, I don't know exactly what happened here. Maybe he was upset because, remember, the, that they had let the mercenaries go, the 100,000 soldiers from Israel, they had let them go, and, and they were probably bitter. We know that on their way back to Israel, they raided some cities, and, you know, maybe he was upset about that. You know, we don't know for sure. Uh, somewhere along the line, he wanted to go to battle against them. But we need to be careful. All I'm saying is that sometimes the most dangerous times are those times right after victory. You know, right after this great thing that happens. Chuck Swindoll said, most of us can handle a sudden demotion much better than a sizable promotion. 
You know, and looking at this, this guy saying, hey, I want to fight with you, Israel. We don't read of Amaziah praying about it. We don't read him hearing from the Lord. And yet we're Christians or we're God's people. We have a relationship with him. He, he leads our life. He gives us marching orders. We don't march unless he tells us to march, but we don't read about God's marching orders here. Um, again, he's probably said about the hundred talents of silver and the damage the Israelites did on the way home. He was godless, angry, and prideful. And that's a very dangerous combination. Remember, you guys, anger. You guys ever get mad? Anger. Um, he was probably angry about this whole thing. It's one letter away from danger. Samuel Butler said, Temper is what gets people into trouble. Pride is what keeps them there. He says right here, you know, your heart's lifted up. He called it for what it was. This guy got proudful. And pride is what led to the doomed destiny even of the devil. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away except those who are full of themselves. See, that's why in the beginning I was just sharing with you guys, man, God would give us the victory. Thank God for those of you who are Christians. You've already won the war. But along the way, there are many, many battles. Battles. And in order to get that victory, we have to maintain a heart of humility and we have to ask God for grace that we may have a heart of loyalty. You know, toward God, my heart is yours. Remember I told you a million times, uh, Saul had no heart. Saul had no heart. Solomon had half a heart. Half a heart. But David had a whole heart. My son taught me that. We got to have a whole heart for God, man. You know, loyalty, a humility. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that word right there, resists, um, for those of you who played football, did you ever, any of you guys ever running backs? Anybody here running backs? I'm just curious. Because we are going to do a turkey bowl this year, and I'm looking for some running backs. Because we're going to beat the ushers. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> No, but you know when you're running back and they do this, they stiff arm. You know how they're running and they got the ball and they stiff arm? And believe it or not, that supposedly is pretty effective. God stiff arms the proud. That's what that word talks about. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's where we need to be so careful. You know, yeah, but look at how God uses me. It doesn't matter. You know, I was reading today in my devotions about how the Lord spoke through a donkey. You know, and sometimes even as a teacher, as a pastor, I can think, you know, I'm doing well. Just because God speaks to you, just because God uses you, whatever you do, don't ever think it's you. It's God's grace. And and we got to stay humble. The truth is, there'll never be a day where I am worthy or I am able, apart from Pure grace, right? Wiersbe said this, King Amaziah made a fine beginning, but after he won a great victory over Edom, he became proud, and that led to his defeat. When you keep your eyes on the Lord, your victories will humble you, and God will get the glory. But when you forget the Lord, your victories will make you proud and lead you to defeat. Isn't that cool? I love that. When you keep your eyes on the Lord, your victories will actually humble you. That's so cool. You know, I, I just I, that's what I want in my life. You know, here we see that God's people 
were defeated by Israel. And really, Israel had a depleted army at that time. And they were just kind of building it back up. If you remember, watch if you go back to chapter 13. Remember in verse 7, when Israel was being bombarded by the Syrians, he says he left of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. Uh, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at the threshing. And so, you know, I'm sure they're built back up a little more now. We know they provided 100,000 soldiers, but they're not full full throttle. And, and you know, like the victories we have, and you would never, you would never believe what ends up happening when the Lord says, okay, you're going to take this on your own. And then you're, you're defeated by something you would have never thought. You would have never thunk that, man. They were defeated by Israel. They had 300,000 soldiers. What happened? God's people were defeated. Amaziah would not heed the warning there in verse 11. And so as a result, they fought. Every man fled to his tent. In other words, they were routed. The king himself was captured. 600 feet of the protective walls were destroyed. They took the silver and the gold from the king's house. And that's not a big deal, but they took the silver and the gold from the house of the Lord. And as, and as we sin, so many others are affected. They even carried away hostage and they returned then to Samaria. And so we learn from this guy, you know, the rule of Amaziah. And then in verse 15, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, now this is again the northern king, which he did, his might and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. And so it's, we're, fun, we're talking about the, the king of the southern kingdom, and he fights this guy in the northern kingdom. And so then, verse 15 and 16, they just kind of give a real quick assessment of the king of the northern kingdom and what ends up happening in his life. We don't have the chronicles of the kings of the northern kingdom. If you read Chronicles, first and second, it's only the southern kingdom. So somewhere out there, there's a book. We don't have it. But it's a quick assessment. And I'll share this with you guys. And you're probably going to think I'm weird, but... Everybody's everybody's weird, huh, to a certain extent. Um, some are weirder. I guess that's the only difference, you know. I remember when I first got saved, um, and, it, and again, a personal preference, right? How many of you guys, you go and visit, like, grave sites? Someone passed away, and you, and you go and you visit a grave site, just out of curiosity. Okay, not that many, huh? And, I, and I, when I first got saved, I had a conviction that I would never do that. I mean, that's like, why am I going to go do that? They're in heaven. That's just their body or whatever, bones, or who knows what's left now, you know? And and I, I think that's fine, you know, if you don't ever do that. That's totally cool. But, but my wife and I, we do. You know, usually once a year we go visit the gravesite of uh, her mom and dad. And we go there, and uh, it's actually a really good experience for us it is. I'm not saying it would be for you. But we go there, and uh, we put flowers down in their tombstone uh, grave right there, uh, the little things. And then, you know, we just pray. And we don't pray for them because they're already in heaven. You can't pray for people who died, okay, just so that you know. They're either in heaven or hell. There's no in between. But we pray and we thank God for them. We thank God for the life that they had and the things that they showed us. 
and uh, and we pray for strength to finish well. Um, and but we take our kids with us, and we take our kids and we start looking at all the different um, you know plots or whatever. Well, this one was only two days old. This one was three months old. This one was eight years old. This one was 20, 21. A lot of older people, obviously. But it's just a lesson for us and and for me. I'm trying to scare my kids, you know. (laughs) You're going to die. Get ready. (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, you look at those little grave sites right there and, and there's little things that they say about each one. You know, and I, I, I'm, they're probably true, only the Lord knows. But here we see, like in a nutshell, you know, what will God say about, about your life, about my life? See, we need to settle that here. You know, here they have these guys, you know, giving a quick synopsis of their life. But we really want to live that way. They say that you're not really ready to live unless you're ready to die. And so we want, man, we want God, give us strength. God... Help us, even though we're living in a world where everything is like anti, you know, God, um, and it's tugging and it's having a toll, and we got one foot in the world and sometimes one foot in the church, and our hearts divided, and we're not passionate about the kingdom and the lost, and just a lot of things. And God is just saying, you know, church, you know, rise, awake, you know, from your sleep and your slumber. When I think about death. I think about that, you know. What will my kids say about me? You know, and of course, you know, usually it's a good eulogy, you know, but is it, will it be true? Looking at all these guys living and dying. Next, it says in verse 17, And then Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, he lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Now the rest of the Acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Yes, chapter 25. And they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. And then they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And like I said earlier, and this is kind of where the the lesson was, he started off so well. But he didn't finish well. You know, how does that happen? Does that happen overnight? Usually not. Hebrews uh, chapter 2, it says, Therefore we ought to take heed to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. And a lot of times that's how it is. It's like we just, it's like we wouldn't do it, we wouldn't say it, it wouldn't happen overnight. But we begin to wane in our prayer time we begin to wane in our in our bible study we go well i did my three chapters maybe if you're you know at least doing that but then did you really do your three chapters did god really speak to you was it a a fresh manner are you hearing his voice you know and eventually somewhere along the line the guy who at one time was biblical the guy who at one time was just the guy, who, the guy who at one time had faith enough to let 100,000 soldiers go and trust in God, somewhere along the line, it says, that he turned away. Second Chronicles 25, 27, it says, After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord. Then they made this conspiracy against him, you know. He fled to Lachish, it's 30 miles away. That's pretty far, huh, in those days, 30 miles. But, you know, God's going to track you down, right? 
You can run, but you can't hide. Just like his dad, they killed the king, but he wasn't devoted to God. Parents, there's a lesson there as well. You know, and again, your children have a responsibility to make their own choice. Don't get me wrong. You know, sometimes very, very godly parents have children that don't serve the Lord. But as parents, we need to do everything we can, praying for them, being an example to them, living the life, giving them the word, not just praying for them, but praying with them. If you'll notice, every time they mention the king, they always mention mom and dad. Mom and dad. Because of the influence that we have for good or evil. These guys that kept... You know, it's interesting. We don't get judged for our parents' sins. But a lot of times kids repeat their parents' sins. It's not a generational curse. There's no such thing as that for Christians. But if you see dad hitting mom... A lot of times, dad, that son's going to do the same thing. See? And so there's just that lesson as fathers. You know, this guy ended up the same way that his dad did. And I think about that sometimes. What if my son does what I do? And there's always that, that challenge. So, Lord, let me do what I would want my son to do. And so we're looking at different guys. The last one, um, it says in verse uh, 21... And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old. Now, this is Uzziah, and we're not going to get into his life, but they mention him here. They made him king instead of his father Amaziah, and he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. And so we read in verse 23 that in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And reigned 41 years. And so now we're going up to the northern kingdom. Remember, they go back and forth. The northern, southern kingdom. Um, and he did, notice his synopsis. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war and how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel, and then Zechariah his son reigned in his place. Now when you read about Jeroboam, he's Jeroboam the second. Um, the first king of Israel was also named Jeroboam. He did not do good. He did not do good. But you want to know something? God did good to Israel for a season. At this time, we read about Jonah right here in verse uh, 25. At this time, Jonah was prophesying. Isaiah was prophesying. Hosea was prophesying. Amos was prophesying. God was speaking to Israel. He really was wanting to get them in the right place. 
And if you study Israel at this time of history, they were growing and they were experiencing prosperity. Even when you study archaeology, it's interesting. They'll tell you that from one generation to the next, all of a sudden the houses got real big and large and the people were financially well off. But even though they had been given so much, when you read Hosea and Amos and Isaiah and all these uh, prophets, they'd been given so much. What they did, like this king, they did not depart from their sins. They stayed in their sins. God was trying to speak to them. Hey, I see what's going on in your life. I see the sin that you're committing or the sin that, you know, things that you're omitting. You know, I'm calling you to this and you're disobeying. They wouldn't depart from their sins. God blessed them. God reached out to them. Under the leadership of Jeroboam, who even wasn't a good king, but God in his grace began to to speak to them. You know, God even restored, but they ignored. You know, and sometimes when things are going good in our life, you know, God's still speaking to us, and we know that there are things that need to be modified. You've got to put off the old man so that you can put on the new man. You put off pride. You put on humility. You put off a divided heart. You put on loyalty so that we can have that victory, right? But unfortunately, they, they weren't. And so what ends up happening, we see the things that are going on. And, and the Lord, isn't it cool what we read in verse 26? Look what it says. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. You know, there was the rich, and there was the poor, there was the bond, there was the free. But no matter who they were, there was still great affliction. You know, some of us think that if I just made like another, maybe an extra 100000 you know, I'd be good. No longer afflicted, right? How many of you think that? I know you guys know better as Christians, right? I'll tell you what, man. Money, all the money in the world, does not remove the afflictions of the enemy and the heartache that we can experience. Here's what we see right here that they were experiencing these things. Look at verse 26, however. The Lord saw. The Lord saw. And, and, and I guess we're going to close today with, like I try to tell you guys, you always have that balance. When you read the Bible, you got to see yourself. you got to see it as a mirror. Lord, what do I need to change in my life? But you also want to see it as a, as a magnifying glass to see how it shows who God is. That's even more important. There's a place for self-examination, but doesn't replace concentration on Christ. Look at how good God is. He saw. He sees. And for some of you here, I don't know what you're going through. And, you know, it's hard times, but he sees. I'm reminded of uh, Abraham and and. You know, what ended up happening with Sarah? And then, you know, Sarah couldn't have a baby. So she said, here, you know, be with my maidservant, Hagar. And then she had a baby. And then she started getting arrogant about that. And Sarah said, you know what, send her away. Send her away. And so she she had, you know, got, you know, unfortunately, you know, thrown out. And then, then she was there and she's going to die and her son's going to die. And there's no hope. But then what ends up happening? The Lord shows up, even to them who maybe we might not consider to be worthy to live. The Bible says that God showed up and God encouraged them. And, and what ended up happening was she ended up giving God that name, 
it's kind of a funny name, Alroy. Alroy. Doesn't that sound like a Jetson name or something? <laughs> but you guys know what Alroy means, right? The Lord, the God who sees. Right here it says the Lord saw, he saw their affliction. You know? And, and he saw right here, whether bond or free, that there was no helper for Israel. You know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but man, we need help. We need help. Psalm 10 verse 14 says, You have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by the hand. The helpless commits himself to you, for you are the helper of the fatherless. And so we got the orphanage there in Cambodia. It's kind of funny. I don't know if you guys knew this, but the first orphanage that we got involved in is called Hope Orphanage. And now the second one is called Greater Hope Orphanage. And I don't think they're like competing with each other or anything. It just ended up that way. And, and God gives hope to the hopeless. Where would these kids, these orphans be were it not for the church? Right? Wrong. Were it not for the Lord. Because he's the helper, right? They need help. We need help. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, I encourage you to read it, verse 16, 26. He said, I'm going to send you a helper. You, we all have a helper, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And so that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so it says, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. God saw their affliction, bond or free, it didn't matter. He saw there was no help for them, and so he became their help. And so we see God speaks to us as far as who he is. I like what it says in verse 27, And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. We'll close with this. You know, blotted out. God never said he was going to blot out Israel. You know, he had a covenant with his people, and Israel would go into captivity, 722 B.C. And Judah would eventually go into captivity, 589 B.C., but then they would be rectified. They would be united. They would return to the land. God would deal with them. Just like God will deal with us, he won't blot us out. You know what he does with us when you're a Christian? He blots out our sins. Isn't that cool? You know, Psalm 51.1, when David, of all people, when we're reading about him tonight, when he blew it, he said, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. In Psalm 51, later on, same chapter, verse 9, he said this to God, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. You see, when you give your life to Christ, man, it's so cool to know that He really does blot out all our sins. Today I was reading in the book of Numbers about how when Balaam saw Israel and he started prophesying over them and speaking over them. Remember, Balak wanted them to be cursed and and God said, I can't curse him whom God has blessed. That's God's people, right? Um, he goes on and says, And the Lord said, I see, I observe no iniquity in Israel. 
And so when God looks at your life, if you're a Christian in Christ, he sees no sin. Isn't that cool? When I look at my life, I'm like, ah, Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. But when God sees me in the righteousness clothed in Christ, he sees no sin. And so I know, you know, that when I die and God gives a summary of my life, and I will, I will rest with my fathers. I will rest with my fathers in heaven. And that's the promise that we have, you guys. Uh, you know, we've won these battles. If we will cling to loyalty and humility, God will give us victory. But the same is true for the war. You know, if you've placed your faith in Christ, repented of your sins and trusted in him, then God gives us that victory that is the most important of all. You know, if, if you haven't given your life to Christ, I don't know, maybe there's one person here and you haven't surrendered to the Lord. Tonight's the night. God's calling your name. You know, you're not here for any other reason but that you might get right with the Lord. You know, God has a plan for your life. So does the devil. The wages of sin is death. The destiny of those who reject Christ is hell. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not messing around, but truly giving Him your heart. Have you done that? Whatever you do, don't come to church and leave without having given your life to Christ. That's what it's all about. And, you know, it's, it's so simple, man. It's so simple. It's not a sin issue, it's a son issue. Just turn from your sins today and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. True story, uh, several years ago, a man and his wife were found frozen to death in their car. What had happened was a blizzard had dumped tons of snow in the area, burying their vehicle. Before she died, apparently the woman uh, scribbled a note on a piece of paper and stuffed it in the glove compartment And the note read, I don't want to die this way. Tragically, when they undug the the car, less than six feet away from their icy grave was a stranded bus whose festive passengers remained warm throughout the night and could have been their means to salvation. You're here today, you don't give your life to Christ, it's like you're six feet away. I mean, you're, you're so close, why won't you surrender to his love. You know, Martin Luther said, the life of Christianity consists in progressive pronouns. It's one thing to say Christ is a Savior. Christ is a Savior. But it's another thing to say Christ is my Savior. Christ is my Savior. And if you haven't said that today, I beg of you that you would say that in your heart before God today. Christ. You're my Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again. He did all the work. All he wants to do is bless your life. So I pray you make that step. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us uh, this time, Lord. We see who we are, and there's things that need to change in our life, and I pray you help us to do that, to have humility, Lord, to have our